Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's Eddie Trunk here with another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday. Podcast1.com, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Thank you for subscribing and listening each and every week, wherever you are in the world. It is greatly appreciated. Very quick open today because we have a long podcast for you with two in-depth interviews First up, Corey Taylor. You know him best as the lead singer in Slipknot and Stone Sour. Corey joins me to talk a little bit about an upcoming solo record, his first ever, and a whole lot more. And then second, Andy Parker, founding member and current drummer of the band UFO. Andy, more uh, sad news for him in the UFO camp Former UFO guitarist Paul Chapman, who played on some of my favorite UFO albums in the late 70s and early 80s, passing away a week or so ago on his 66th birthday from a heart attack. Just sad and tragic news. I was a huge fan of Paul Chapman. I thought he was vastly underrated in UFO, as were the albums that UFO made with him as a guitarist. So I was very, very bummed to hear that news. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about and celebrate Paul Chapman with Andy Parker coming up second. A must listen for UFO fans. As I always tell you, the interviews you hear on this podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show. That show is called Trunk Nation. It's on live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Channel 106 Volume. And it replays every night, 10 to midnight Eastern. And you can listen on demand anytime you want. If you are in the U.S. or Canada, please come on board with me on Sirius XM and listen every day live and get involved in the show and hear all of the interviews and everything I'm doing here on the podcast. You are getting a tiny, tiny sample. Also want to thank Goody's Headache Powders. 
uh, goodiespowders.com. Goodies new product is Goodies Hangover. I think a lot of people could use it <laughs> in the times that we're in. There's a lot of drinking going on out there, so be sure to check it out. Amazon, uh, Walgreens, any fine retailers out there, check out the brand new product, Goodies Hangover, and check out all of Goodies products at goodiespowders.com and check out the new great new trunk nation uh sticker that goodies made for me you can get them free by mailing away the information is on my website or if you want to jot it down it's p.o box 41 cedar knolls new jersey 07927 put stickers on the envelope and put a self-addressed stamped envelope in the envelope and make sure your return mailing address is U.S. only. And I'll send you out a couple stickers. All right, so uh, like I said, very short open at the top. We're going to get to Corey Taylor first. We'll follow it with Andy Parker of UFO talking about the late Paul Chapman. And that's all coming up this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You know the deal. Follow me on social media for updates at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, and eddytrunk.com. We'll get to Corey coming up. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk Podcast, a double dip this week, and it's a great one. Andy Parker from UFO coming up shortly, but we open with Corey Taylor, best known for Slipknot and Stone Sour. Corey is a great guy, a great music fan, and he's about to launch a solo career with a brand new solo album done that I have heard that'll be coming out sometime later this year. Let's get to it right now. Corey Taylor on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Enjoy. Tapping in, my brother. How are you? I'm good, dude. How you doing? I'm good. How are you holding up, man? You, I was thinking about it. You are the consummate road dog, whether it be Slipknot or Stone Sour. You're a guy jumping between two different bands all the time, working your ass off. And now all of a sudden, the last few months, full stop for Corey Taylor. <laughs> how are you doing? How are you doing in all this pandemic madness? How have you been? Well, I mean, you know, the first month was like, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't even know what the hell I was going to do with myself, but you know, I, it, it was actually good for me because I was, you know, me, I'm always running ragged and, and just, you know, chasing the, the next project and whatnot. And it was, it was almost good for me to, it forced me to kind of slow down and kind of regroup. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to downplay other people's, you know, like the issues that a lot of people have had, but for me, it was like, it, it was, it was, it was good that I, I kind of had to step back and, and, you know, sequester myself and kind of, you know, get my head back together. Uh, but now I'm losing my mind. Now I'm like, <laughs> now I'm like bouncing enough is off enough. walls, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, three, four months is this is just ridiculous now. Um, like, so I'm kind of like where everybody else was, you know. I mean, the first part of it was like, you know, responsible, you know, concern and worry, and and just kind of you know, you know, making sure that everybody was doing exactly what they needed to do. Um, and then, you know, you get into, you know, month three and it's like, okay, now what? And now it's like, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm concerned about health, but at the same time, it's like, you know, at some point 
somebody's going to have to take the plunge. Somebody's going to have to, you know, figure it out. And it's like, and it seems like more people are, are getting, are more concerned about getting back into, into life than they are about, you know, the dangers of, of the, the pandemic. And then obviously with the last week, uh, it's been insane everywhere, you know? So uh, it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just a crazy world we find ourselves in right now. Yeah, and and you know, I because I've talked to a lot of artists about this. So many artists that are friends, and they've all kind of said the same thing. It's like when okay, we're home, and it's cool actually because you're forcibly home, and the recharge is sort of good, and you get rooted, and you get reconnected, and maybe a little bit more reconnected with family and whatever. And then after a certain point, it's just like okay. uh I, I, it's time, it's time to, to get, to get rolling. And the one thing yeah, that yeah. a lot of the artists that I've spoken to, I think we're going to see two things coming out of this. We're going to see a lot of people trying to hit the road all at the same time. The The other right. thing though, is that in this downtime, everyone I've talked to has all said the same thing. Well, well, what are you doing? And any creative person who's a musician, they're writing and they're recording. And so you're going to see, I think, a yeah. slew of yeah. music coming out as well off of all this. And I know among the many things that, uh, you know, I want to hit you with today, that's exactly what you did. You've, you've completed a solo record, which you were yeah. nice enough to let me hear some of and is fantastic. So give, tell, I know there's certain things you can and can't say about that at this early juncture, but tell everybody what you can say about your first ever solo record. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you know, a long time coming, obviously. Uh, it was something that, you know, the people have been asking me to do for years and it was something that I always kind of put off because how greedy can somebody be? You know, I've got, I've already got two bands, you know, what more do I want? But then like the, it just kept coming up and then I just kept thinking about it and just like, what would, what would a solo album sound like? And it, you know, that's when I started, you know, really kind of like looking into my, into my bag. And it's like, I've got all these songs that I've written that didn't fit with either band. And that's kind of what started this, you know, kind of, I was going to do this next year. Um, but then obviously, you know, the, everything shut down. So it kind of afforded me the time to really go in and, and really concentrate on it and work with the people that I wanted to work with friends of mine for, you know, 15 plus years, uh, people who I've made music with or jammed with, I've played with, I knew exactly how it would sound with them on it. And we just kind of, we just did it right. And we all, honestly, we all, we all quarantined for two weeks. Um, and including the people in the studio that we worked at and made sure that we had no contact with anybody else, no outside people. And we just all went in and did it together. And it was, you know, it, we did 25 songs in two and a half weeks. It was, it was insane. Oh, wow. That is amazing. How long had this material been sort of knocking around? Was this stuff that, whether it be Stone Sour or Slipknot, maybe you're doing writing sessions, and then you're, as you said, well, it's not right for that band, it's not right for that band. Did you sort of keep a log, a backlog of stuff, or did you write more just with this record in mind more recently? I mean, I'm always writing. Um, and, and it, it kind of, it's kind of all over the page sometimes, sometimes it's, it's a risky move with, with, with both bands that I'm willing to take. And then there's sometimes where it's just like, you know what, this, I don't even know where this fits, you know, like this is, 
this has got like a sweet Slade vibe that doesn't really fit with either band, you know? So I just kind of sit on those party tunes and, you know, just kind of, you know, I, I tried, you know, uh, giving them to other bands and stuff. And then, you know, some bands that just didn't fit their vibe and other bands, they're a little more just not into outside material. So, you know, I just have this, I just have a surplus of songs and I was just like, all right, I guess I'm just going to use it, you know? So a lot of this stuff is as new as I've written it in the last year or so. And some of this stuff is as old as, uh, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the first song on the album is a song that I've been working on since I was in high school. Let's put oh, it that wow. way. So it's, this is a Yeah. I mean, it's a long, long, long time coming. And really maybe it was one of those things where it took, you know, kind of years of, of, you know, working and, and honing my craft to, to have the, I guess the confidence to be able to complete that song. So, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a long, long time of, you know, waiting and, you know, piecing it together. And it, it, it just, it feels awesome. And you had been doing some shows in clubs and stuff. I know you did the Roxy and stuff just under your, your own name. You, one of the guys in your band, in that solo band, is a great friend of mine, Zach Throne. And he was telling me I'm doing some yeah. stuff with Corey. And you had played. Uh, you, I just missed you when things were normal. I was going to L.A. every month. And I just missed you playing as a show build as Corey Taylor and friends at the Roxy. I think you guys played yeah. and I, I, so, so you were actually, was that sort of greasing the wheels for a record? Did you know you were going to do a record all along with that band or was doing some live shows, just trying to get a, a sense of the feel if it was going to work. And I didn't really know, uh, whether or not I was, I didn't know whether or not I was going to do, the solo album or not, to be honest. Uh, I mean, honestly, it was, it was, it was almost an inkling at that time. Like it wasn't something that I was like seriously considering. I mean, the, the, the CMFT shows really were really at the time something to, to get out of the grind of, you know, how you know, how serious this industry can be sometimes where it's like, everything has to be, you know, drama, everything's dramatic, everything's, you know, tense and whatever. And the, the Corey Taylor and friend shows were ways to remind people. It's like, wait a minute, you know, the music didn't always have to be so dour, you know, music didn't always have to be a bum out, you know, music used to make people feel great. Music used to make people want to dance, whether it was rock or whatever music used to make people smile. And, that's what those shows were, was just getting together with a bunch of friends and playing a bunch of covers that may or may not go together, but they made us smile. And that, honestly, that paved the way for the approach of what this album would be. Uh, basically, just going, you know what? I've done the serious, drum, dramatic stuff. I've done the heavy stuff. I've done all of this stuff. And obviously, it's not the only stuff that I listen to. I want to write something that represents the other side of where I come from, you know, like the, the, the sweet junk food music from like the, the seventies and the eighties. And that's kind of the germination of where this came from. Yeah. Well, like I said, we'll do more when the record's actually out, but I've had a chance to hear it and it's, it, there's a little bit of everything on there, but it's just, to me, it's just a great fun 
rock record with with also you know just just a lot of different sides to it and i just thought it was great your voice sounds great the guitar playing all the playing Thanks. across the board is great you worked on it with one of my favorite people jay rustin as far as producing and mixing so you know oh, yeah. I, I i love where you know i love what you've done with this and i can't wait for everybody to have a chance to hear it when is that going to be what is the i mean i know a lot of things are sort of up in the air because of the pandemic some people feel Right. And they want, they're holding records until they can properly go out and promote them. Where are you at with that? Right. What's your label telling you as far as when they want to put it out? The label's really excited about it. Um, at, at first, they were a little skeptical, but then it, when I, when they heard it, they they could they could really feel the spirit of it. So they're really looking to to push this. So I mean. Uh, I, I think they're talking about the album coming out actually in September. So fairly, very, very soon, man. Uh, we're going to start dropping songs in the next couple months. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's sounding like, cause I'm getting everything together right now. I'm getting all the artwork together. I'm getting all the, like everything is, it's, it's like, it's a real deal. So yeah, look for this in the next, uh, next three months. It's going to be a, going to be a a kick-ass little ride i want to ask you something about songwriting because i'm as a fan of music i'm most intrigued and interested in artists songwriting process and the creation of songs to me that's you know as a as a complete layman and somebody that doesn't play anything just a a psycho fan of of rock music it's it's always to me the most fascinating thing to watch somebody create great songs out of nothing. So for you, you say you're always writing. What's that process like for you? Are you somebody, because I've talked to so many musicians over the decade I've been do, decades I've been doing this, and they all tell me something different. I had Tony Iommi on a couple weeks ago. I mean, he's got thousands of songs that have never even come out, and he's just always pumping out right. riffs. Do you are you yeah. someone that has to dedicate time and say okay I'm going to close the door and spend the next two hours working on writing songs or is it just always coming to you and you're reaching for the iPhone and hitting the the record because you got an idea out of nowhere how does it work for you that process it's it's the, it's the latter it's you know I'm always I'm always thinking of songs I'm always like coming up with stuff in my head and I, because I'm so like almost hyper focused on stuff, like especially like that. I will mull and chew and just exhaust every idea that comes with that song in particular, whatever I'm working on, until I've really got it figured out. And then it comes down to just playing it over and over and over again, whether it's acoustically or actually, uh, like just over the last three years, I've taught myself how to play piano just so I can write piano tunes now. And, uh, I mean, obviously I'm no, I'm no virtuoso, but you know, I can play along with almost anything that I've ever written. So that comes in handy when you're looking for that extra level of, uh, or element when it comes to like, you know, enhancing songs or just writing songs completely. So I just, yeah, I just kind of go for it. Um, and, and really work out like all the, the obvious choices and try to avoid like the cliche choices and try to find the thing that is going to sound really cool and also adds that little, that last little hook to it, you know? Yeah. And I, and I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff like that, which maybe I'll 
end up releasing on, you know, albums two and three when it comes to like the solo stuff. But yeah, I mean, I just, I have a ton of stuff that, um, hopefully now we'll see the light of day, you know? And I'm assuming when the record comes out, you, you've cleared time that you're going to, from the other two bands that you're going to be able to go out and tour it. Do you want to go out with the band and, and actually do a full proper tour? Is that the game plan? Oh, no, absolutely, man. I mean, this time, some shows, uh, we definitely want to do, uh, some solo shows and, and, uh, try and, and find a way I mean, because it's so it, everything's so tentative now like everybody's like so they're they're so scared to to book anything yet but you know there's you know if if it comes down to it and people want to take you know but take a chance and, and do a one-off or something i mean that's what we're kind of looking at right now but obviously i still have uh commitments to slipknot when everything kind of finally lurches back into place. So this will obviously kind of be put on hold again until after all those commitments are done. And then I'm going to go full on like uh, full on like solo tour and, and do everything I can to promote that again. The Slipknot stuff was paused. You guys lost a lot of stuff because of the pandemic, right? You had a lot of things booked. I know that on on the schedule, there's some stuff. There's two or three dates announced in uh, in early January of next year. It looks like uh, two Japan right. and a Mexico. But you but you you guys were in the middle of it, right? For the last record, or you or you, you had some dates lined up that you lost because of things, right? We had a lot, man. I mean, we have this whole year was was booked um and some stuff that hadn't necessarily been announced um and all the shed tour of course you had a whole uh, shed you had a whole shed tour lined up i'm just remembering yeah well not only that but we had two we had two shed tours i mean we we hadn't even announced the second leg of it um which was going to be later in the fall so right now um we're, we're basically moved everything until next year um everything's just basically being picked up and move same time next year um, because we're, you know, we're not, to us, we're not canceling. We're just postponing. And uh, once, you know, once everything kind of settles down and everybody's able to kind of catch their breath and everything and everybody feels good, hopefully there's been some progress made as far as like uh, a vaccine or whatnot. Once the, once the tentative fear goes away, everyone's going to be barking to go to shows. And that's when, you know, we're going to be ready to go again. So, yeah, we've just basically moved everything to next year. So whatever was, was blown out and people listening, whatever they were planning on doing for Slipknot or seeing or how or where, you plan to make all yeah. that up, which sounds like next year is going to be a pretty heavy year if if things are normal and people are able to be on the road for Slipknot. I mean, that that sounds like it's a pretty pretty good chunk of time next year dedicated to that band for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean we're definitely going to finish up the tour cycle and uh, make sure that we get to people. Cause a lot of people right up until the point where, you know, we ended up having to kind of pull the dates. Everybody was still like, are you still, you know, coming? And, and I mean, even, even though everything was kind of locked down, everybody was still really, you know, kind of excited for us to come. And it was just like, I mean, if it, if it didn't make any sense, we weren't going to do it, you know? So it just made more sense for us to kind of postpone everything to next year and honor the tickets that we already have, you know, that, that are already out there and, you know, just give something for people to look forward to next year. 
You know, I'm 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 sitting here laughing at a couple things I'm thinking about. So <laughs> you guys sort of you guys were sort of way ahead of your time in Slipknot with the whole wearing a mask thing. <laughs> he put yeah. a little bit of yeah. A, yeah. a different twist on it, but you're going to be wearing masks. You might be wearing masks in your other two bands too, man. <laughs> yeah, no joke. I mean, people, I, mean, I, I can't tell you the amount of memes that people have sent me because of that. I was just like, oh God, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, you you could have at the merch stand the you know everybody in the audience could be wearing the the Slipknot branded mask because it's the thing to do right now. And if you talk, if you hear from the experts, I mean, might be something right. we're all going to be forced to do for a long time going forward. So you're you're ahead of the curve, Corey. I, I tell you who wins in this in this situation: the people who lip sync because now they can <laughs> just put a mask on. And they don't even have to move their lips. They don't even have to try. They can just concentrate on their dance moves, man. <laughs> and sadly, there's way too many people that are actually doing that in rock and roll, in my opinion. But that's a story yeah. for another day because that makes me mental. Yeah. But uh, so, so, so you've got, you've got, uh, and the other thing I was thinking about too is I'm sitting here talking to you in like Slipknot, Stone Sour, Solo, juggling everything. And it took me back to a time not too long ago when you were being courted by Anthrax and Velvet Revolver and all these bands to potentially be in those bands as a singer. And you were like, no, yeah. I, you know, I can't, I can't possibly do three bands. And here we are in 2020 and Corey Taylor's in three bands. Yeah. I, dude, if you had asked me, I would have laughed in your face. And now here I'm sitting, I'm just like, oh God, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Were, were any of those were any of those dude. were any of those offers things that you regret not getting involved in at the time? No, not at all. I mean, and and I mean, obviously, I mean, I would have totally done the Anthrax thing if uh, the record label hadn't gotten involved. You know, like they basically shut that down. I was actually leaving that day to go to Chicago to rehearse with Scott and Charlie to work on, to work on music. And, uh, they shut that down because they wanted another Slipknot album. Uh, they wanted, that was when I was uh, kind of, I don't want to say fourth, but I was kind of browbeat into going in for all hope is gone. Um, mm. and I was, I mean, I was that with, I, you know, we had worked on a lot of stuff that, you know, ended up coming up, you know, ended up appearing on worship music. And, like to this day, I listen to it, and there are moments where I'm listening to the music, and I hear the things that I wrote vocally that would have would have been cool. But at the same time, I'm very very supportive of the fact that they got Joey back because, I mean, to me, that's that's Anthrax, man. You know, like even even the stuff that they did with uh, John was was really good, but it just felt like if it was going to happen, it would have happened. You know, and as far as the Velvet Revolver thing goes. I mean, I was, I was totally into to doing that and it seemed like there was, there was more going on there than, than meets the eye. Uh, I don't even know if that was going to happen, you know, but, and, and it had it moved forward. I don't know if I would have been the dude to keep that band together, you know, like it's, it's one of those things that it was cool to be a part of for a second. It was, a, it was cool to be considered for, um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm exactly where I was meant to be. I'm exactly where I was, I'm supposed to be. And all those guys are still my friends. And honestly, that's all that matters to me. 
And I think things kind of worked out for Slash and Duff, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things are doing okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not worried about them. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'm certainly not. Yeah, I've checked on them both. I think they're they're just fine, and I think this whole Guns N' Roses thing actually turned out to be, you know, pretty good. So I think they're all good yeah. in that front. <laughs> let, let me hit you with a couple other quick things and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. You did something really cool recently for this whole pandemic and the relief for people when you auctioned off a bunch of guitars and uh, what you end yeah. up making in that. And, and were those guitars you had collected that people had given to you or that you went around and collected? I, I know that, that you raised some great money for a great cause there. And I, I just wanted you to touch on that for a second. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'd, it was, I'm pretty proud of what we did. Um, eBay actually approached me with the idea of that. Cause I was going to auction the guitars anyway and donate the money to charity. And eBay actually got a hold of me and said, whatever you raise, we will match. So we were able to, between the two of us, between, uh, my guitars and eBay, we were able to raise $150,000 for direct relief, which was awesome. And uh, those were all guitars that I've had over the years. There are guitars that I've bought myself, um, some of which I bought on the road and used as uh, what are called bus guitars. You know, when you're just sitting around playing and you write something, and that's how, you know, that's how a lot of my songs actually written. Um, some of them were uh, uh, stage played. In fact, uh, one of the guitars that was auctioned off was the actual, the first hollow body guitar that I used on tour with Stone Sour when I was playing Bother. And uh, it was actually, and it was, it was the guitar that I played the entire time that we did the, the whole first tour cycle for the first Stone Sour album. So mm. that, you know, there was a lot of history that went out the door. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the, the, it, was, it was cool to have, but I, I wanted them to go to people who, you know, appreciate stuff like that. And I also wanted to raise enough money to be able to help a situation like that. I'm actually looking to do another one, uh, very, very soon. Uh, and my wife is actually as well. Um, she's going to be doing, she's, uh, I know she's selling prints right now to raise money, uh, for charities to actually to help with the, uh, the protests that are going on right now. And, uh, we're just doing everything we can to, to try and help all the causes that we believe in. That's great stuff, man. And I, I, I knew you, I knew the number on the guitars was somewhere around 150 K. So congrats on that. That's awesome. And, uh, you yeah. mentioned stone sour. What is the status of that band? It sounds like that's backburnered for a bit, huh? Yeah. It's kind of doing the backburner right now. Um, we all kind of felt like we did exactly what we wanted to do on Hydrograd, and uh, we're just kind of giving it. We're just giving it a minute. Uh, I, t you know, I talked to the guys in the band about uh, you know the solo thing and what I wanted to do. They were all totally, you know, totally on board with it. Um, everybody else has kind of got things going on, so they're all cool. Josh is actually working on a solo thing of his own, which is great. Um, so yeah, man, I, I think uh, Stone Sour is kind of on hiatus right now, which is which is fine. You know, we're all pretty cool. Even if someday we want to get back together and do some stuff, it'll, it'll be bigger than it was. But for right now, we're all kind of focused on, you know, kind of doing our own thing. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, you never, you never see neighbor in this, in this business, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
And well, that's the good thing too about having more than one band. That's the upside because one of the, the mistakes I think that a lot of artists have done in recent years, especially when royalties and money from record sales has dried up is they've over toured. They've played too much with the same band and they sort of hurt their draw. So for you to be able to, okay, you're in slipknot mode for a year and then that's on hiatus for a year or two. And then you're in stone sour mode or solo mode that, that breathing room, I think really benefits the other bands, not only the, maybe the relationships with everybody to get a little distance since you're always together on the road, but also just fan demand because look, 2020 was supposed to be the year of the reunion. You saw whether it was the black crows or rage against the machine or my chemical romance, all these guys coming back. And that was getting the lion's share of the attention and interest because people hadn't seen them that much. So it really is like a, an absence makes the demand grow a lot fonder. I think in the world of rock music for sure. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, and I mean, and that's, and I think that's the key too, is maybe that's the key to the fact why I've, I've been able to do this for, you know, over 20 years now is the fact that I've never burned people out and I've never burned out myself musically, you know, like just when I feel like I've done everything I possibly can with one thing, I shift gears and go to another one. And then the audience kind of feels that as well. The audience is always ready for something different, something new or something fresh, you know, that keeps the energy different. It keeps it vital. It keeps it, you know, like people are, you're always waiting for it, always stoked for it, always excited to see what's going to happen next. And that, I mean, that's what rock and roll is all about. That's what heavy metal is all about. That's what it used to be anyway. You know, there's a lot of dead music out there disguised as rock music. And yet there's still a great thriving rock scene that I think a lot of people aren't getting to hear because of a, a lot of the bands that are, you know, kind of dominating the airwaves right now. And I think that's sad, but I think, I think the energy is going to push through and a lot of these newer bands are really going to get represented. I'm talking about bands like Ages. I'm talking about bands like uh, Joyous Wolf. Like some of the newer bands that are coming. Which takes uh, like hip hop and like dark hardcore. Like, I mean, there's a lot of newer bands coming up that are really forcing their way through the din and pushing out the, the mainstream status quo to, to, to kind of capture people's imagination. And that's what's exciting about it. And I think that's what I've been able to do with a lot of the stuff that I've been doing over the years, you know, is you try to push through the noise that's kind of going on in the background so people can focus on that one thing that you're trying to provide for them. Yeah, I, I'm, incur- I'm incredibly encouraged about some of the new bands we have coming up. I'm really excited about I, every day I'm getting, and in some cases having on this show, some really exciting new young rock bands. I, the thing I worry yeah. about Corey, the, the challenge that I think is there more than anything is there's, there's no gatekeepers anymore, which is a good and a bad right. thing because now the talk about oversaturated. There's so much out there and literally anybody can make and release music that it sort of yeah. gets so convoluted to find the stuff that's real and genuine and really good. And that's the, when, when my audience says to me, ah, oh, there's nothing you know good anymore. I'm like, no, it's just a little harder to find because it used to be right. if you showed somebody you had a CD or an 
album or a cassette or something, you would, you would pass certain checkpoints to get to that point. You would, you would, you had a, a really arrive to, to create like that. And now literally anyone can do it. So it's like the, the audience's head is spinning like a thousand things coming out. And it's like, okay, well, I think I heard of them. Are they good? Or, and it's just so hard and consequently hard for the, the really good bands to stand out too if they don't have a really right. big machine behind them. So I think it's just a little more onus on the, the fan to put the work in the beauty of the internet is to you can click around and you can hunt and peck and find some things you like and then you know do your best to spread the word about it i mean that to me is the biggest challenge is the 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 oversaturation factor of just trying to find the stuff no you're 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 absolutely right on that i mean it's tough and the problem comes from the fact and i and i've been saying this for years it, it comes from the way that it's recorded as well it comes from the way that people produce music. People think it's okay to just just dump it at a computer and let the computer do the work. People think it's okay that they don't need a studio or they don't need to play together or they don't need to mic an actual an actual amp and hear the sound and make something sound different. They've completely homogenized the sound. They've completely diluted the sound to the point where 98% of the active rock bands on the radio or out there, they all sound the same. So you can't tell any goddamn band from the difference between any of those bands because they all sound the same. They're all produced the same. They're all mixed the same. They all, then nothing stands out. So that helps when you're trying to find new music, at least back in the day, bands all sounded different because of the way they were recorded. And now because of the availability of the technology and whatnot, a guitar will never sound any different than the program that's being used. Drums will never sound more than a a typewriter being smashed with a drum mallet. You know, the the, the vocals are going to sound squashed and, and just there's there's no there's no vibe, man. You know, I mean, honestly, and to swing it back to my project, we played everything live in a room with amps, with gusto. We played everything live. Everything you hear on the album is ninety nine percent live, with the exception of overdubbing the vocals, which were all done in like two or three takes. Uh, the piano, which I would come in and I would just play. I mean, everything is live, so you can feel it. You can you can feel the vibe in it, and that is what's going to differentiate everything. I think if people want, you know, if the artists want to stand out more, they'll go back to basics. They'll go back to the studio where the sound originated in the first place. They'll find creative ways to record together as a unit and make themselves stand out. You can't shove it in a computer and expect it to come out of Picasso. It's all going to sound like a piece of paper. And that's, that's the biggest challenge that rock needs to get out of its head, but it's so easy for people, but they don't want to put the work in. Guess what? Sometimes you got to put the work in. Sometimes you got to rehearse. Sometimes you have to actually play with the people that you're in a band with, to get that kind of soul. 
Because if not, you've already sold it. Uh, I mean, look, I mean, (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. What you sent me and what I heard, it wasn't even done completely from from your coming record. I picked up on that immediately. I even texted Zach. I'm like, this is live. You can feel it. And he's like, yeah. I mean, it's... it's, you know it's great. I can't wait for people to hear hear the record and when it comes out and and people can actually get it and everyone can hear it. We'll do something more for sure. We'll do a whole thing on it and we'll we'll line oh, something absolutely. up more at that point. But um, last thing, you got another book in you? Yeah, I'm kind of. I mean, obviously the last one exhausted me, dude. You know, anytime you go into politics and you're not a politician, it wipes <laughs> you out. And that's exact. I mean, exactly. I mean. That's why, I mean, everybody keeps hitting me up. It's like, are you going to say something about the protests? It's like, dude, I said it four years ago. You know, I said it in my book. I knew this was going to happen. I don't want to come off like that asshole, but, you know, when you have someone who is that self-destructive, all he's going to do is make a bad situation worse, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about... I've been thinking about a new book. Um, I've been thinking about kind of playing on the the meme that's been around me for God knows how many years, you know, the, the what does Corey Taylor think? I've been thinking about taking that and, and bending it to my will and using it to my advantage. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I'm still kind of toying with the idea. And, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm definitely jotting ideas down. And, you know, if, if I don't get to work soon, like on the road, I may just have to sit down and write this book just so I can, you know, pay my rent. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, it's always great to spend some time with you. I, I appreciate it. And I'm psyched for your record. I can't, I know we can only talk about it in limited terms today, but just to let everybody know it's coming maybe in September. And as soon as it hits, we'll do something. Maybe we'll, hopefully by then I'll be back to be able to do my monthlies. I was doing a, a broadcast every month from the, from the rainbow live on the patio. We had great oh. guests out there. We had an audience. I mean, had tons of amazing guests. I mean, everybody from from Slash to you name it came out there with me, and we should do one of those if 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 we're normal. And by the time it comes out, I can we can go there and do that. It'll be great to do do one of those with you, and and maybe even some of the guys in the band or whatever. But whatever you need, whenever you're ready, let's let's do it. And uh, congrats on the record. I can't wait for everybody to be able to hear it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I will absolutely take you up on that, man. As soon as we can, let's definitely do that. All right. Well, listen, be well. The other thing, too, and I'm, I'm going to come out there and do some shows, hopefully, from Vegas as soon as that's uh, available. So either way, we'll hook it up somewhere down the line. And be safe. Best to the family. And we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you, brother. All right. See you, Corey. Thanks to Corey Taylor. Great conversation with him, as always. Coming up next, Andy Parker, founding member of UFO and still their current drummer. He joins us to talk a little bit about former UFO guitarist Paul Chapman, who passed away last week. That's next on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Big podcast this week, two big interviews. Interview number two right now with Andy Parker of the band UFO, one of my favorite bands of all time, a band that is much loved by many, highly influential as well. Andy joins me now under sad circumstances to talk about 
vastly underrated UFO guitarist Paul Chapman, who passed away around a week ago at on his 66th birthday and some of those incredible records they made with Paul. Here's Andy Parker. Andy, how are you, my friend? I'm fine, Eddie. How about you? I'm good. I wish we always, we, we have to talk and have got to have you on when it's under better circumstances, because this and time I and the last you. time it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to make it's, into the Grim Reaper here, but it's just a horrible, yeah. it's been a horrible year. And then this news with Paul and I texted you and I guess I told you before you even knew the other day, right? Yeah, You know, I mean, to be honest, mate, it's been, it's been such a lousy year. I tend to stay off of uh, the internet a lot. You know, there's just, just mayhem and destruction and, and, you know, sadness on there. So I hadn't actually been online yesterday, um, or the day before, sorry, when you called me. Um, yeah, and you broke the news. But uh, I just just so, so you know, I spoke to Paul's daughter today, and she wanted everyone to know that, that that release, Paul doesn't have a son called Paul. That was her that released that that bit. Um, and okay. her name is Brittany, and I spoke to her this morning, and she is, as you can imagine, she's pretty cut up. She lived very close to her dad and saw him at least two times a week. And so, but uh, yes, and apparently he passed of a heart attack on his birthday. Just, so, to, you know. did, had he had, do we know, Andy, had he had some underlying health conditions? Was he dealing with anything? Well, that he had a stroke about? not too long ago. Um, okay. His wife died. I'm trying to think when this was. I, last time I spoke to him, and we had a long conversation, was probably oh, maybe a couple of years. How to time flies so fast? It's probably a couple of years back, and he'd been in England trying to trying to uh, reform Wasted with with Pete, and it didn't go at all well. And I'd heard that you know that he had to come home again and that it didn't work out, and we had a long conversation about that, discussing how, you know, how Pete was doing and how he was doing, and he seemed fine, but not long after that, his wife passed, and according to his doctor, um, I mean, according to his daughter, sorry, according to his daughter, she said that kind of really hit him, and he kind of started going downhill from there. Yeah, I remember him posting on social media about trying to get something going with Pete, and then he was pretty transparent about when he had come back from England, because for the people that don't know, Paul lived in Florida, uh, that when he had come back, that he just said, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to happen. So he was pretty, pretty uh, open about that. You know, I, I last saw him, he was playing in a band called Killer B. They were from somewhere Swedish in Europe. Band, they, yeah, yeah. And they were touring in America and trying to get something going here, I guess maybe four or five years ago. And he was the only guy in the band that was known from being in another well-known band. And mm -hmm. when they first approached me, I was just like, my God, yeah, I have him come in my studio. I mean, I'm a huge fan, and I'd love to talk to him about his career. And we had a wonderful, gosh, he was in the studio over an hour with me. I've got the recording somewhere, and we talked about everything from Wasted to UFO to Lone Star. I mean, all the stuff that he had done and it was great to get to know him a little bit. I talked to him a few times over the, you know, the, the, the course of the decades, but, um, I got to yeah, tell he you, was, and he I, was a, a beautiful guy, big heart, you know, real, really embraced life, you know, very generous. Um, you know, I can't, I can't remember ever having a crossword with him in the time that, you know, that we spent together, both in UFO and in wasted. It was always a pleasure to be with him and, and a f fantastic player and i think you know vastly over over underrated i would say overlooked but underrated in a lot of a lot of ways i mean um 
like you, I've just been digging up some of the uh, the stuff that he did, and man, there's some incredible guitar work on those albums. Well, look, I couldn't agree with you more, obviously, and you you know from being back, you know, since you got back into UFO, I mean, I was always badgering Phil or you, or especially recently with Neil Carter being back in the band now, Neil was a big part of the Paul Chapman era, so I was always, even in the last couple of years, in everyone's ear in the band saying, working a few more songs from the Chapman era, and I know you guys started doing, I think we belong to the night and a couple things, but I, I gotta tell you, um, Andy, I love that era and those songs and those records almost equal to what many people consider the the classic period um, in the 70s. So I want to ask you about this. So for people that don't know, and I find this fascinating, Chapman was actually in UFO with Shanker at one point early on, right? Exactly. Uh, We decided, you know, quite early into Michael's tenure that that we needed a rhythm guitar player. So we uh, auditioned players. Paul got the job. But as you can imagine, he was always fighting for the lead spot. So it didn't, it didn't, didn't last very long because Michael wasn't having any of that. You know, so um, so he, he didn't last very long. And, um, and then we replaced him with a keyboard player at a later date. But when Michael disappeared, and I'm trying to think what year that was, that 79? 78-ish oh, when that started yeah. to happen, um, I think, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, he just disappeared overnight. No one knew where he was, and we had a, an entire American tour booked. So Paul came back in and did that tour, then left again, and Michael came back. And then when Michael left for good, Paul came back in for those four albums, from, I think, 80 to 83, if I remember rightly. So he actually, before he got in the band full in a full way where he, you know, with no place to run and actually was in the band, he, he, in a way, and he kind of served as a security blanket for you guys when you were having problems with Michael showing up, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that one American tour, because Michael just disappeared overnight. No one knew where he went. He didn't let anybody know. And we were facing huge lawsuits. You know, I mean, there, there was months of work booked and the obvious, the answer was to get another guitarist, and Paul was the perfect fit. He knew the song, most of the songs, and uh, and a great player and a great guy, you know, so we didn't have to get to know somebody or deal with that. I mean, he was just, and he'd stand up, you know, yep, I'll do it, and, and then he came. And uh, so, of course, once, you know, Michael decided he was leaving for good when he came back, you know, Paul went back to his other projects, but then when Michael decided he was leaving, finished for good, then we got Paul back. You know, I always, always feel it's a shame because by the time Paul came back and we did, you know, we did, as you said, four great albums. But by that time, we were always you know, already kind of being dropped by the record company. They weren't behind us as much as they'd been. You know, times change. And um, I just always felt that we didn't get the recognition that he should have got. And neither did the band for those albums, you know, in my opinion. Because having, you know, just dug them up now and listening to them again, man, there's some great stuff on there. And as you said, we are actually playing. I think we put We Belong to the Night in the set. Um, what else have we done? We did try Change Chains, but Phil has trouble hitting those notes these days. Don't tell him I said so. Um, <laughs> uh, well, he would be first to admit it. What else have we got in there? Um, there was something else. Long, we've had Long Gone Long in there. Gone. Long Gone was yeah. in, yeah. Long Gone, one of my favorites. And there's another one, too. We Belong to the Night and uh, Making Moves. 
Making Moves oh, was, was, yeah, was been in the set right up until, you know, early this year. So, so good. I mean, so good. Those records are so good. And, and it's, um, it, so, so just going through the lineage here, you know, it's fascinating because most, myself included, consider Strangers in the Night to be the definitive UFO record and the definitive live album. It's my favorite live album of all time. But thank you. I remember getting that record. I remember getting that record. And if you look at the credits in that record, in the thank yous, as I'm sure you know, it says thanks to our friend and guitarist Paul Chapman in Strangers, which was Michael's sort of swan song. So when that record was being put out, at that time, you guys knew, that I guess, that Michael was out the door and Paul was coming in. Exactly. Yeah, Michael had said, you know, when he came back, I'm going to do this, then I'm done. So, you know, so this time, you know, as, a, as opposed to when he disappeared overnight, we had some warnings. So it was an obvious, you know, an obvious step to, to have Paul come in full time. And, and as I say, I think, you know, some great albums. Um, we had No Place to Run, Mechanics, Wilder Willin, and Making Contact. Yeah, they're incredible records, um, vastly underrated. Some of my favorite records ever. I want to ask you specifically. Well, you said to me that that's the that's the period you got to know the band, and then you went back and discovered the earlier Schenker stuff after you you know you'd you'd uh, um, had a chat after the Chapman stuff. Oh yeah, well that's exactly what happened. And you know, I'm I'm 55, so the first time I saw you guys was 1980. You were uh, co-headlining with Cheap Trick. It was at a, a Rutgers Athletic Center in New Jersey. I remember it was a huge snowstorm. There was hardly anybody there because everybody thought the show was canceled because the snow was so bad. And I braved it and went. And uh, it was with Chapman. It was the Wild Willing and Innocent tour. So yeah, it's, it's such a yeah. special time for me and so many other people that got into the band at that point. And then, of course, you won't go back and you discover the catalog. Same thing with me with Black Sabbath. My introduction was with Dio and the band at Heaven and Hell the same time and then of course you go back and you get the aussie stuff so it just means a lot it's just a very special time and i think that i think paul was so underrated the songs were so underrated the records are i want to ask you specifically andy about no place to run which was the first studio record you made with him which was also mm -hmm. not only a great record it was also produced by george martin what are your memories what are your memories of making that and and making a studio record for the first time well not the first time but cuz i know before shanker there was someone but really you know having to replace shanker which let's be honest big shoes to fill what what do you remember going into the studio at that time well you know that was an interesting album because we made it on the island of montserrat which was kind of a, you know an experience all on its own without making an album there. I mean, pretty, pretty crazy. And uh, as you rightly said, with George Martin and Jeff Emmerich, who sadly neither of them are with us anymore. Um, but it was a very pleasurable experience. I mean, we were a little bit nervous. I think you know George Martin was a huge, huge name, but he was really easygoing. I mean, I don't think he was used to working with people like us because you know we kind of tend to make up as we went along you know i mean we would have ideas but phil didn't you know or, or traditionally he has never really written his lyrics until he starts to hear the song to come together and george of course was wasn't used to that his his um comment to us was well john and paul used to sit down with their acoustic guitars and play me the songs but i suppose we can do it this way <laughs> 
and 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 love the man he actually he did and he persevered and and then of course jeff you know jeff was were his ears then because i i guess he'd suffered some um hearing loss even at that time um and but you know he was so on top of of the arrangements and really helpful with structure and lyrics and and yeah and it was an absolute pleasure to work with him and jeff yeah, and it was a great album. And Paul, you know, obviously contributed a lot to that album, which was great because Paul was always so effervescent, man. He always had stuff going on, you know. He was always, always so positive about things. So um, he really was a great guy. I'm going to miss him terribly. Yeah, I had, I had really had hoped deep down with you guys sort of in your final sort of run here as a band, uh, I had really hoped, with fingers crossed, that maybe before – Phil puts a button on UFO that there would be an opportunity to see Paul come back. And even if it's just in, you know, you guys are going through Florida or something, he gets up for a few songs because it's just how much I love that era. I was really, I'll tell you, I didn't know Paul Chapman. Well, I had the chance to meet him a couple of times, but I was really, I was really, you know, bummed man. The last couple of days since I heard this purely from a fan yeah. standpoint, just because his era of the band was also so important to me. And along those lines, Andy, I mean, I'm just going to be honest here. I have friends as brilliant as Vinnie Moore is. And I love that era too, as you well know, but I have a lot of friends that I get into arguments with all the time in, in rock who are like, no Schenker, no UFO for me. They're, they're Schenker purists. And I get it. Michael's brilliant. I'd never take anything away from him. But I've always said I love the Chapman era, and I love the current era with Vinny as well. So, do, but, but talk to me about, because I have friends that went to see UFO when they thought they were getting Michael, and instead they got Paul. And for as great as Paul was, they were upset. Did you pick yeah. up on that being on the road that it was a tough yeah, spot absolutely. for him to be thrown out you there? Know, uh, yeah, because you know, I mean, but but to me, it's like, well, you know, how much of a fan are you if you don't know that Michael left and Paul's in the band? Then you complain because you, you know Michael isn't in the band. Well, you know, to be honest, you should have known that yourself. And I still get this. We you know we still get this now with with Vinny. You know, I feel I feel bad for any guitar player put in that spot. You know, I mean, it hasn't. Fortunately, I mean, I've been in and out what three times now, and I, I've seen I've seen some press like you know they like Jason better or they like Simon better. But you know, I was there first, so it doesn't really bother me as much. But it must be very different. I think that for Vinny too. You know, I mean, to be honest, Vinny's been in the band longer than Michael ever was. Um, so, you know, and, and the same thing with Paul and yeah, he did take a bit of flack, but he, it didn't bother him. I mean, he knew how good he was and he knew how good the band was. So, um, and that's the kind of guy he was, he, you know, he wasn't one to, you know, to take umbrage at anything. He just, you know, shrugged it off and did the best he could. I mean, I actually remember him doing shows with a broken ankle where he'd done it, like he damaged it on stage or something, and he had to sit on a flight case for I don't know for a week or more, you know, with his with his ankle all bandaged up. But he still played. He still came out and did it. He didn't cancel any shows. Um, you know, hence his nickname Tonka. I was going to ask you about that. One. <laughs> is that yeah i was gonna ask you about that because anybody that knows paul chapman's nickname was tonka and, and when yeah. did when did that first started getting used and who came up with that oh i think that was very early i mean he you know let's let's say we were all kind of pretty crazy back then but he in the crazy charts he was pretty near the top so i mean he <laughs> was pretty much uh i'll take double what you can and you know so um 
you know, yeah, he he got that nickname very quickly, and it it, it was probably a way. Um, but I, I'm not sure exactly who might have coined it, but uh, that's the kind of thing that Way would come up with. There was that. <laughs> did you know? I don't know if you remember. Cause, um, real tough toys for real tough boys. That was the the slogan, the Tonka truck slogan. So. Well, I, I certainly yeah. remember the Tonka trucks, and then you know I, I yeah. put that together as a as even back in the day. I was just like, oh, it must, this guy must be sort of bulletproof. He must bounce back from anything. And yeah. I, I'd always assume that's what it came you know, um, Life shows us that none of us are uh, immune. You know, and, it's, and then at sixty six. I mean, I'm sixty eight myself now, and that's just way too young. You know, yeah. I was really hoping. And in fact, we were actually in Florida early. I mean, we were very lucky to get a tour in early this year, right before all this craziness started up. You know, I think I came home on the 3rd of March, 2nd or 3rd of March um, from from that cruise, uh, you know, the the, uh, the Rock Legends cruise. And um, and then this, you know, this is that's when the proverbial hit the fan right after that, you know. And I was kind of hoping we might see him. I didn't get a chance to call him ahead of time, but I figured he'd know. But I, I, I'm, I'm now um, imagining that he, he probably wasn't in the best of health at that time. So this is probably why, he, why we didn't see him. You, you had said that we all know that he tried to get something going with Pete again somewhat recently. So obviously Pete was yeah. in touch with him. You had talked to him a couple of years ago. Do you know if, if uh, Phil or Neil were in touch with him? I don't believe so. I mean, he's you know he's been pretty quiet. I mean, he was still had his guitar school, as far as I know, but he hasn't you know he hasn't been very. I mean, I, he actually talked to me when he came through Dallas with Killer Bees too. Uh, unfortunately, he called me like typical Paul. He called me about half an hour before they were going on stage and said, "You want to come to the show, well, Paul? You're an hour and a half away, dude. <laughs> you know, should have called me yesterday, but uh, so I didn't get to see him. But we talked on the phone. I mean, like I said, he was always so energetic and and uh, and you know and so full of life. It's really hard to imagine him being gone. Um, but, I, I uh, didn't. I didn't, Andy. I didn't realize that you were in Wasted as well with him. Obviously, Wasted went through a lot of different lineups as well. But I didn't mm-hmm. realize. I know. I knew the the period of time that uh, Paul was in, but I didn't know that you had gone in and out of there a little bit as well. Well, I, I did. Wasted, and they had this guitar player, this young chap called Neil. I can't remember his last name, uh, and he was very young. And as such, I mean, I think you know he had he had um, a lot of talent, but that he, he just I just didn't didn't feel you know I, he he just I just didn't really like his playing at the time. He was very noisy and and uh, he wasn't working out. And I said to Pete, I mean, I think I was maybe part to do with the fact that Paul came in to waste it. I said, man, you know this kid, he, he, you know, it's just it just doesn't sound right. I said, have you thought? And, that, and that's when Pete. Um, changed and put Paul in the band so I was in it for quite a while it was Paul, me, Pete and Finn the original mm-hmm. um, singer so yeah and I did it we did a I did an album with the kid with Neil I, I just I'm sorry but I can't remember his last name like a, a uh, like a a mini album I think it was five or six tracks on it and then we did some shows we went to te- we went to the Tel Aviv Rock Festival and did, did a tour actually we opened from Iron Maiden on their uh, Power Slave tour Oh, okay. Which yeah, was, I, which was fun. Yeah, I saw I saw that tour. I just didn't realize that, that you were in at that yeah, time. I, I lost you then for a minute, for some reason. Yeah I, yeah, I did see that tour. I just didn't realize you were in the band at that time. 
Uh, yeah. I, I, I had very short hair. <laughs> it probably didn't look like me. Do you have a, Andy, do you have a personal like story or a laugh or I'm sure there's a ton of them, but you know, as far as Paul Chapman is concerned, is there a moment for you that jumps out, whether, you know, from the road or making the records that you can share with the yeah, audience? I don't know if I should t- tell this, but you know, it's water under the bridge now back, you know, when he was first in the band, we had no money. I mean, we were seriously broke. We were touring, and we were, I think we might have even been down in his neck of the woods down in Wales or something. And it's like, man, we're all starving. No one's got any money. He went, hang on, boy. I just get my big jumper, and he, he got on his giant sweater that he had. He went, I'll be back in a bit. And off he went into the supermarket. And about 20 minutes later, he came back to the van with his sweater just bulging with his stuff. He had ham, he had a loaf of bread stuck up there, he had, he didn't even manage to, 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 he managed to get a bottle of scotch. I mean, I'll never forget it, it was just, it was just, I mean, for us it was brilliant, you know, because we were really hungry, and, um, you know, I mean, it was just, that was just him, you know, he got, got a proper mouth exit, and off he went. Right. And, Classic case of yeah. starving musicians. And how about from a, a playing standpoint? What was there anything that were are there any records or songs that you remember that stand out? You know, one of my favorite solos he ever played is the song "Profession of Violence," which the whole second half of that song is basically this brilliant melodic guitar solo. Um, is there any? Is there were there any moments for you? You said you'd gone back just recently and listened to some of the stuff that really jump out, whether it be an album yeah, or I mean, a song. I think Long Gone is still one of my favorite. So, I'm, and funny enough, I discussed Professional Violence today with his daughter when I talked to her this morning. We were talking about that song because talked a couple of times about bringing that song back. So, if we ever get to play the, again together, you know, I mean, who knows with the way things are right now, but. If UFO does make it out on the road again, uh, there, may, there may be a chance, especially now that Paul's not with us, that that would come back. You know, because as you said, with Neil, with Neil being in the band, it's um, it's even more apt, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think long gone. What was I just listening to? I was actually just listening to No Place to Run. There's some oh. fantastic guitar work on that track. Mystery on the title Train. On that album. Yeah, the title track and also... I mean, the song Mystery Train was such a live highlight for so long. I mean, just just yeah. brilliant stuff. It really is. I yeah, mean, he really. Used to, he used to get out there on the, on, the, on the acoustic at the beginning of it and do his little thing. And that, acoustic, that poor acoustic got kicked across the stage on a nightly basis. <laughs> it's amazing it ever survived. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, just the image. I've seen photos now since of just ha- the hair in his face and that red BC Rich and just uh, yeah. banging it out. Yeah. Just just great stuff. And I was going on YouTube and going through the old videos and looking at TV appearances and all the stuff. And it's just such a big, big part of UFO history that we lost a couple yeah, of days we ago. Actually did top of the pops at least once or twice with him, which was interesting. And, 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 and last one night we were on with Phil and Phil Collins had something in the air out. So, oh. so you can imagine which one went into the charts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. so there you go. <laughs> such is life. Um, and, yeah, and the so, last, the uh, last, yeah, the mean, last thing, you know, we get to play some more of his music. I should certainly be playing some here. Yeah, me too. The last thing I wanted to ask you about this and just talking about Paul is, do do you feel like, I know how it's viewed here in America and there's the fans that like me that love that stuff so much. 
but like I said, a lot of, and I don't mean to say this in a disparaging way about the stuff in the seventies, because I mean, I love the stuff with Michael as much as anybody, but the, but, but, but here in America, super, super underrated in England, of course, where the band is from and based, did you see, do you think that when Chapman really established himself in the band and got two, three records in to the tenure and people saw the quality of music you were making, did it change Did the perception change where he was really embraced by the fans and the media in, in England, his era? I think he always was funnily enough. Um, I think, you know, people accepted the change. Um, and the only, the only downside to, as I said, was, was, a, the record company, things were changing. They were going a different direction, Spandau Ballet and that kind of thing, you know. So, so their, their support of us wasn't what it had have been. Uh, and the other thing, um, was it, the band was kind of disintegrating in that period. You know, there, um, there was a lot of, lot of, uh, substance abuse and just, I think just, we were just generally worn out. Um, you know, and and so that that affected things quite heavily. But I think people, you know, far more than maybe in America, people accepted Paul because you know he was better known. I mean, don't forget he replaced Gary Moore in Skid Row. Yeah, and you know people knew of him, and uh, you know he had his band Lone Star that you know got got some uh, some recognition. So I think he was accepted a lot more in England than maybe he was in America. Yeah, and I think that's and, a great know, and, point. And even, even as I say, even with the band kind of spiraling out of control at that point, um, you know, especially after Pete left, then um, you know, it, it just it just kind of uh, it took the edge off of it. But but you can't deny that that's, there's some incredible work, you know, on those albums, and you know, and he was a huge part of it. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you make where in England people were aware of Skid Row, and I, I was talking about this on the show the other day, not the Skid Row people know here in the U.S., the, the band with Gary Moore, but they were aware of that band and they were aware of Lone Star, both of those bands here in the U.S., completely off the radar. So to us, exactly, Paul Chapman yeah. was a completely unknown guy, where in England there was already some some you know some history there. Yeah, and they'd seen him playing with... with Michael, you know, they'd seen him as a second guitar player too right. in Europe because we'd done shows, you know, in England and Europe with him. So, so yeah, he was a much, uh, you know, better known entity than he was in America. And before I let you go, uh, bringing us up to current present day for UFO, you, uh, I saw yesterday, I think yesterday or the other day, actually, it was put out on the band's platforms that they're there were dates announced for next year, not in America, but in, a, in I, I think you had some stuff lined up in another part of the world. Where, where are you guys at as far as what next year's looking like? Cause I'm sure this year, like everybody is just shut down. Yeah. And, and what's basically happened, I mean, you know, just to put you in the picture, we did the tour earlier this year, finished in March with the, the rock legends cruise, which was fantastic. Uh, right at the beginning of March, I think I got home about the 3rd of March or something. And we were supposed to go to India in April. And then in May, we were supposed to be in South America, in uh, Brazil, Chile, and Argentina. And then we had two or three um, trips to Europe over the summer. Of course, that's all gone. And um, as far as I know, and speaking to my manager, most of it, 
this, the South American, the Mexico, Chile, Brazil stuff has, has gone to next year. So I don't know about the Indian thing. I don't know if that actually came back yet. Uh, I haven't heard. But so the stuff that we missed during the summer here, and, and as it stands right now, we have work in Europe in October that hasn't been scrubbed yet. Whether it will, I tend to think it might because I can't see this getting resolved before then. I mean, unless say somebody comes up with a vaccine really quick, um, I still think it's going to be difficult to have large, you know, large concerts. So, but as, as far as I know, that you know, the, the October dates in Europe are still on. I think it starts in Barcelona or somewhere um, this in Greece. Year. And so, um, and then the South American stuff is is supposedly the beginning of, of twenty twenty one. Yes, twenty twenty one. And there is possibility of, of work in America, too. I mean, we were discussing that with our agent during the last tour of maybe, because it's the traveling, I think, now with, with you know, with us guys getting up there in years. And I think um, he's thinking maybe more of doing, you know, like several nights in one place rather than a different place every night. So, you know, we'll, we'll, obviously, Eddie, we'll have to see how this whole COVID-19 thing pans out um, before we can make any firm plans. Yeah, I know about the potential of a sort of mini-residency, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything on the air about it because it's not uh, a done deal yet, but Phil had actually emailed me about that, and we went back and forth about it, and I was, he was we were talking about potential hotels that I could get him a deal at if he were going to be staying in that city for an extended period. So we oh, actually okay. had some dialogue cool. about that. I mean, and, and uh, people are doing it in Vegas. I know that uh, Scorpions are doing and then Aerosmith, you know, doing yeah. residences. So you know, I guess it's you know the, it's the way of the future. Yeah, and you get you know as, as old old folk, you know, it, it takes it out of you traveling. It really does. So. You know, that's the, the hardest part, not the actual performance, but I'm going to get on a bus and travel overnight and, you know, not getting sleep or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just really hoping that I will actually get to sit on a stage with these guys again. I mean, it just, it's, it's just so crazy right now. You know, no one really knows when it's going to come back. Um, so, yeah, and, and having Neil back in has been a good experience, I imagine. Ah, oh, it's been fabulous. Yeah, it couldn't have been better. I mean, it was it was it was a huge shot to lose Paul, yeah. but um, but it's been wonderful having Neil back in. Yeah, yeah. So so and that's why I'm really hoping that we can continue this next year, uh, and you know, for a little bit longer. And you know, the interesting thing was that when I talked to Paul about the the wasted thing, you know, that was when Phil said he was done. He was you know he was finishing. And I'm thinking, oh well, if Paul gets back with you know with pete and they free form wasted maybe maybe i'll get, get to go with them you know but but uh it didn't happen and um you know and ufo looks like it's going to continue i mean i think i think maybe you know between you and me that neil actually you know um kicked some life into phil i think he was pretty much over it you know but but it has been different with him he's a very very energetic young man, and uh, and it's really. Uh, you haven't seen the band yet with him, I guess. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah I saw you yeah, in New York. I was New York. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you did. Sorry. Yeah, I was yeah I'm, get, I'm getting uh, pandemic lockdown brain here. I can't remember <laughs> one thing. From the... <laughs> but, uh, and, and yeah, la- last, yeah, and last, you, so you la- saw, I mean, just how oh how yeah, she brought to the to the show. You know, so yeah, sure. it's great having him back in. 
Yeah, and and last thing, do you talk to? I mean, we, you mentioned about Pete. Do you talk to Pete at all? I mean, do we know Pete's condition? Last time I saw Pete was wasn't that long ago was at Sweden Rock, which was, was at the end of last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, oh, I love that guy to bits, but I don't think he should be doing what he's doing. It's not fun to watch. I mean, I understand he wants to be out there and, and he still wants to play, but um, he can't play bass anymore. They've taken the guitar away from him. He just sings now. And it isn't, it isn't, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to comment on Eddie. You know, yeah. I love him to bits, but, you know, it's hard for me to watch that. Yeah, I and love him, dude. I love him. I mean, Jesus, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, you thought if anyone was going to be gone, it would be him, you know. Well. <laughs> he'll probably outlive us all. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Andy, and I, I, if we're being honest, it's a tragedy we lost, uh, uh, you know, uh, Paul Chapman and, uh, of course, Paul Raymond. It's just, it's unbelievable. But did you ever think you'd see the day where the guy's still standing? I mean, he truly is the Keith Richards of bass. I've always called him that. He really is, yeah. Pete he really went. is. But it's starting it's start to tell on him. I, you know, like I said, it was a bit of a shock seeing him in person. You know, I'd seen I'd seen videos of him and stuff. You know, with his his band. Um, but yeah, seeing him in person, he didn't look good. But like I say, he's he's still here. So you know, yeah. more power to him. You know, and uh, and, I get, and as far as I know, he's still doing shows and stuff, and, and he's still out there. Well, listen, which is, my you know, friend, which is I got the way he wants to be. You know, and I don't blame him for that. Yep. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Appreciate Eddie. the time, man. Take care. Best to your family. Please don't rise. I'll see you sometime soon. Yep, for sure. Stay in touch. You too, buddy. Well, my thanks to Andy Parker. Rest in peace, Paul Chapman. If you ever listen to Mechanics, No Place to Run, Wild Willing and the Innocent, or Make in Contact, you will see and hear some of the greatest melodic hard rock ever made, and uh, really bummed to have heard about Paul Chapman's passing. His daughter has gotten in touch with me, and uh, you know she's grieving very much, as you would imagine, and we send our condolences to Andy's entire family, his fans, I'm sorry, uh, Paul's entire family, my gosh, uh, Paul Chapman's entire family, uh, his daughter got in touch with me, and uh, we send our condolences to all of Paul's family, friends, fans, uh, which I am was very much one of. So rest in peace, Paul Chapman. And again, thanks to Corey Taylor, who joined us earlier in the podcast. Thanks to Katie Irizarry for producing the podcast. Thank you for listening. Another new episode next Thursday. You know the outlets. And also, once again, we need to thank our friends at Goodies Powder, uh, Goodies great products like Goodies Extra Strength Headache Powder, and of course their brand new product, Goodies Hangover, a must if you've had one too many. Find out about the full line of Goodies Powders at GoodiesPowder.com. There's Fast and then there's Goodies Fast. You can get their products at Amazon or anywhere you get your medicinal needs. Have a great week, everybody, and I'll catch you next. Oh, and a happy Father's Day to all the fellow dads out there. I'll catch you next Thursday for a new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Take care.
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.